Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. As we come there, uh, we, we, we did uh, slip away last weekend. We thought we'd take advantage of Family Day weekend, and the kids were out on Friday and Monday, and I thought, let's get out of here. So uh, we went over and we visited uh, our good friends, the Lewises. They're pastoring in Duncan and stayed at their church and visited their church last week. And actually, poor Peter, the, the pastor, he had his assistant pastor scheduled to speak, and they were doing a baptism. And in the middle of the baptism, the, past, the assistant got totally ill and had to leave, and so he was uh, left uh, to come up with something on the fly. Yeah, but it was great to visit uh, Duncan Pentecostal Church and good to be back with you guys this morning. We have been going through this series in 2 Corinthians and, and just a reminder of where we've been and what we've been talking about is the conversation has been much based in the idea that we are all ministers and doing the work of the ministry. Paul's been talking about that. And when we got to chapter 8, he began to just transition where he was going and he began to talk about uh, one of the ways in which we part become participators in the ministry is through our giving, through allowing God to touch our pocketbook and, and making the kingdom of God a priority. And so, you know, I, I think in regards to the area of giving, chapter 8, where we were a couple weeks back, does the heavy lifting on that subject. And now Paul's going to just kind of continue on this and he's going to talk about the heart behind giving and uh, just stay right on track with where he's been. Now, as we saw, and as we're going to see this morning, when we talk about giving and New Testament giving and the managing of our finances, uh, we saw in chapter eight, and we're going to see in chapter nine, that this is what I would call a ministry of grace. As Paul dealt with this topic in the last portion of this letter, he pointed us to giving being motivated by grace in our lives. Just the un, you know, we call grace God's riches at Christ's expense. It's just, we are not under law. Our giving to the work of the ministry is not designed by God to be some act of religion. It's not designed by God to be some act of obligation or duty or guilt or legalism. New Testament giving and contributing to the kingdom of God does not find its motivation in rules, but rather in a heart that has been touched by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as Paul was telling us in, back in, in chapter 8, first we give ourselves to the Lord, then we give ourselves to the work of the ministry. And so giving is a matter of the heart. And the greatest example of grace giving is the Lord Jesus Christ. Whom the scripture tells us that though he was by very nature God, he humbled himself, made himself nothing. He took on the form of a servant, born in the likeness of man, and he humbled himself even to the point of becoming obedient unto death. Even death on a cross. And we saw in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 that it's really the human mind cannot fathom how far Christ stooped from the height of heaven to humble himself to come in the form of a child and to give his life on the cross for our sin and salvation. See, Jesus Christ is the perfect example of grace giving. The perfect example of giving. And we are called to emulate the example of Jesus, the grace giver. And so if, if, 
You can actually check it out online and go back and listen to a message now if you want. Uh, but we saw in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, the word of God challenged us to check our hearts in the matter of our personal finances and to give according to the grace that God has given us to the work of the ministry. And so here in chapter 9, the Holy Spirit is going to just continue to speak to us, uh, the church, about how God wants us to give. How does God want us to give? And the first thing I would say from this text is this. You got to be ready to give. Have you ever gotten in an accident? I have. A couple. The one that I remember most humiliatingly and was when I did $5,000 damage to my little VW Golf coming home from church one night because I was rushing home to see a Canucks playoff game. And, you know, I was just moments from home. And the light turned yellow and I thought, I'm pushing that light. I'm blowing that yellow light and I decided to blow through it. And unfortunately for me, the responsible person in front of me decided that they would yield to the yellow light and stop and whammo. <laughs> you know, an accident is kind of, you define an accident as an unfortunate incident, right? That happens unexpectedly, that happens without intention. It's unintentional. And what Paul's going to tell us here is this, is that giving never happens by accident. It, you have to ready yourself to give. Check it out. Verse 1. Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints. For I know your readiness of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia saying in Achaia, saying that an Achaia has been ready since last year and your zeal has stirred up most of them. Now, just as a reminder about the context of this discussion, <clears throat> the ministry of the saints that Paul is referring to, he's referencing what is going on in Jerusalem. We talked about this two weeks ago. The believers in Jerusalem were undergoing severe persecution. They were under severe financial strain. Culturally, uh, they were outcasts for choosing to follow Jesus Christ. And they were paying for it in their family lives. They were paying for it in their work lives. But God was looking after them and the hearts of the church uh, around Rome was turned towards the people of Jerusalem. And the churches began to collect offerings to send back to Jerusalem to help out these churches. And so some of these churches here in Greece where Paul is had planned to send financial support and the gifts to help out. And, and Paul says, now it is superfluous. That's a rad word. I like that word. Uh, what Paul's saying is this, I don't need to remind you again. It's unnecessary for us to even talk about this. You know what's happening in Jerusalem. You know what's happening with these people. And you Corinthians, you people in Corinth, uh, clearly said a year ago that you were willing to give. In fact, when you made your pledge to give to the, the churches in Jerusalem, you inspired the churches in the north in Macedonia, where Paul is at this time. They heard about your willingness to give. They heard about your zeal and they followed your example and they gave. And so Paul says, I'm not going to belabor the point. What he's saying is this, uh, be ready to give. And he's going to give them a little game plan for that. Verse three, he says, but I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter so that you may be ready. As I said, you would be. Otherwise, if some of the Macedonians come with me and they find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you 
for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead of you, to you and to arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that it might be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. <clears throat> now, as we know, like I said, from where we were two weeks ago in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul uh, was sending a group of leaders led, ahead, led by Titus and they were coming to Corinth ahead of him and they were going to take up the collection that would be taken to Jerusalem. Now, for whatever reason, we don't really know. Paul doesn't tell us. Maybe it was to do with the, just the tension between him and the Corinthians or whatever. They had made this commitment that they were going to give, but they had never actually followed through. And so to save them any embarrassment, because people knew about their commitment, to save them any humiliation, the plan was that Titus and the team would arrive early so that things could be organized prior to Paul showing up with uh, some of the Macedonians. And therefore, they could, they could follow through with their commitment and, you know, his boasting about them would not turn into something humiliating for everyone else. See, the whole point was that Paul was concerned that the gifts given not be a matter of exaction. This was not payment for services rendered. You know, this was not meant to be some grudging obligation or some willing... You, some, you know, unwilling taxation, religious tax. No, what Paul's saying is this needs to come from your heart being generous. You know, think about it this way. Does God ever give of himself from an attitude of hesitant, begrudging, resistant obligation? God doesn't. The answer is no. The scripture tells us that Jesus willingly gave himself for us. Nobody twisted his arm. The nature of Jesus is that he is willingly generous. Now, when we talk about giving and use the words willingly generous, remember, we're not, we're not talking about the amount. It's, we're not talking about amounts, but we're talking about the attitude with which we give. Our attitude should be willingly generous our giving should be rooted in grace. You know, Alan Redpath said this. He said, when God gives grace, he does not reluctantly open a little finger and maintain a clenched fist full of gifts. I would tell you that God's hands are nail pierced hands and they are wide open. This fountain of grace is always pouring itself out with no limitation on heaven's side at all. How do we give? Like God gave rooted in grace. The cross of Jesus Christ was no accident. Did you know that the cross was not an accident? When Jesus hung on the cross, he never said, whoops, I never meant for this to happen. You know, he, 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 he didn't, you know, say, ah, oh, this is an accident. Did an accidents happened here? What does the scripture tell us that Jesus said? He said, it is finished. It is finished. Father, you gave me and I gave myself and this is no accident. I have accomplished the work that you've sent me to do. See, because Jesus was made ready, the word of God tells us, because the plans of God for the cross were laid before the foundations of the earth were laid. I would call that the perfect example of being ready to give, wouldn't you? God's example, ready to give. And so the point is this, Paul's saying, be ready to give. 
Make a plan. Make a plan in your giving. Now, the next thing the Holy Spirit tells, speaks through Paul about giving is that, that there's a reward for giving. Check it out, verse 6. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. You know, this is an, an important spiritual law. Just like there's laws in nature, there are laws in God's kingdom, spiritual laws by which his kingdom functions. You know, when you think about uh, laws of nature, there's a law that I've found to be, you know, very reliable. It's the law of gravity. It's, you know, I found it very reliable, especially when I've tripped over something, you know, (laughs) when I've tripped, gravity has never failed me. My feet have failed me. (laughs) You know, my coordination has failed me, but gravity has never, ever failed me. I was thinking about seven years ago. uh, We went on the Powell Lake canoe, uh, the canoe trip there and we took the youth group and uh, Sam Simpson was on that trip. Blake Simpson was on that trip. I'm trying to think who else, maybe anybody else from here. I can't remember. But, uh, you know, on that trip around the lakes, there's a, there's a number of portages. And because we had a lot of young youth kids with us, uh, some of the adults were forced to carry a little more than their fair share of the load. And, uh, you know, it wasn't bad until the last portage where you descend down to Goat Lake for two kilometers, about 1,500 feet. I think that's what it was. And, you know, carrying my pack and carrying my canoe and my wonky left knee, it was just, it was done by the time I got to the bottom of that portage. And, you know, try as I might, gravity would not allow me to lift that canoe off my shoulder. I could not do it. And gravity would not allow that wonky left knee to, to hold the weight anymore and try as... I might. I crumpled to the ground under the canoe, <laughs> much to the laughing mockery of much of the youth group. See, you know, gravity is a law of nature. It, but, it, you know, it's fun to take advantage of laws of nature. You can take advantage of the law of gravity. One of the good spots to do that is a gospel rock on a sunny Sunday, warm summer afternoon. Bloosh. Into water as you cliff jump. See, gravity, gravity never failed me there either. So just like there are laws of nature, there are spiritual laws by which the kingdom of God functions and operates. Here's an example. Take it to the bank. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now Luke 4 tells us a story about Jesus, when he spent 40 days in the desert, led there by the Holy Spirit, and how at the end of those 40 days, the devil came to him and tempted him. And the last temptation was this, that the devil took Jesus to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And it is written, On their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. And we know what Jesus said in response to Satan. He said, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Now, you know, jumping off some high building may not be a temptation for you. (laughs) To test the law of gravity by throwing yourself 
from the pinnacle of the temple to test uh, God's plan of protection for you. What was the devil trying to appeal to with Jesus? He was doing this. He was encouraging Jesus to reveal to all the crowds watching that he was the Messiah. Jump from the height of the holy place and let the angels save you. Man, then people will know and they will follow you and they will follow your teaching and whatever. And Jesus answered, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. But there is one area in the scripture where we are told and where we are encouraged to put God to the test. It's in the matter of our giving. Malachi says this, chapter 3, verse 10. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. And see if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. See, Paul talks about this idea of sowing seeds sparingly or bountifully. You know, I would say about a farmer, when a farmer sows seed, he he sows seed into the ground with an expectation that there will be a harvest. With an expectation of harvest. A farmer knows that if he sows sparingly, he'll reap sparingly. And if he sows generous, generous crop. So you always sow with anticipation of of a harvest. And you know, You know, I was just thinking about it. We certainly know that there are ministries out there. There are churches. There are pastors. There are different things. Just things that go under the name of Christ who have built themselves on this principle of making this the forefront message that they proclaim. You know, material blessing to God's people as they give. You know, so. um, they, They focus on giving in this unhealthy way. I I think especially unhealthy when you consider that we have among the highest standards of living in the world. We're in the top 2%. And then to promise us that, that, you know, there'll be more financial blessing as you give to the kingdom of God. Well, that's what we're going to see in this chapter. The harvest reap for sowing financially into the kingdom of God is much bigger than just material blessings. The harvest God has for you as you invest in the kingdom of God is both material and spiritual. You know, on a material level, you know, you can trust God that he, he will provide as you give, as you give. Remember that, that God is not poor. God's not poor. Uh, Poverty is not the reason that God asks you to give towards his kingdom. His his word tells us that he will supply all of our needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4.19. And the bigger context of Philippians 4.19 is a conversation about the generous living of the Philippian people. See, we give and God blesses us materially. materially. It happens in all sorts of ways. I mean, we all have testimonies. You know, the, the appliances probably last longer. The kids' shoes, except for Jonas, they wear out like, like crazy. You know, maybe the shoes last longer. Maybe the dollar stretches a little further. Look, God sees that the righteous never go without bread. He looks after the material needs as we give. But the rewards of the kingdom stretch beyond the material to the spiritual. Both now, both now and eternally. 
See, the scripture tells us that God will not allow himself to be indebted to anyone. His word tells us that even when we give a cup of cold water in his name, he'll bless us and reward us. You know, I think about it, you know, how do you put value? How do you put value on someone coming to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? How do you, how do you put a dollar amount on that? You know, I think about that. I was blown away that we got that letter from Gospel for Asia this week. Uh, that this missionary is now self-supported. I was stunned. And, and all week I've just been thinking about it. It was Tuesday that came. I thought, man, can you put a value on that? What our church has done in just supporting a little missionary and now boom. See, the spiritual rewards with giving to the, the there are spiritual rewards with giving to the kingdom of God. Now, because there is a reward for giving and because we are encouraged to test God in this matter, because we see Jesus as the ultimate example of this, we are reminded over and over again in this passage that this is an issue and a matter of the heart. We have to have the right heart as we give. Uh, Motives, you know, when you talk about farming, the motives of the farmer don't make a difference, whatever. He sows his seed. Maybe he's planning a trip to Hawaii. Okay. He could be planning whatever. There's no difference uh, why he sows it. But in the kingdom of God, the heart matters. The motives of the heart matter. The heart behind the action matters. Check out verse seven. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, For God loves a cheerful giver. You know, the first thing I see in that verse is the words, each one. Each one. See, giving is not this extra option that you choose into and you opt into. Like when you're buying a, I think I'll take the leather seats, heated ones too. (laughs) Okay, it's not, it's not an optional thing about the kingdom of God. Every Christian is called to be a giver. Jesus is our example. Giving is at the heart of who God is. And the heart of what, it, and at the heart of what it means to be one of his followers. Now remember, it's not about the size of your pocketbook or your bank account, but it's about willingness to sacrificially give towards the kingdom of God. The choice to give comes from the heart. And the scripture tells us that a man's heart's deep waters. It's hard to understand the motivations of a heart. You know, and whatever the motivation of the heart is, I think this. I think this for you and I think this for me. I I don't want to be and I don't want you to be manipulated or coerced or have your arm twisted into giving. Anytime, you know, I would say this. Here's just a little discernment thing for you. (laughs) Anytime you begin to sense manipulation to give, just let your spiritual radar go up. Just up, man. Let it go up. You make the decision from your own heart how to give. I think that's why planned giving, as Paul first said, he said you need to function with a plan. That's why I think planned giving is really important because when you function with a plan, it protects you from those who might try to manipulate you. You know, that said, sometimes opportunities to give spring up. But always, just check the motivation of your heart. Are you giving reluctantly? Are you giving compulsively? God does not want you manipulated. God does not want you to regret your giving. 
You know those feelings that pass over you when you pull up to the toll booth at Horseshoe Bay? <laughs> you pull your, your experience card. You know those feelings? Those are the ones you should never have in the kingdom of God. <laughs> you know those, yeah, you know, regret, manipulation, <laughs> feeling like you're getting ripped off. You know, you, know the, you know the feeling when the credit card bill comes or the car payment approaches three years in? Ah. Uh, those are the feelings that shouldn't happen with the kingdom of God. And so, you know, we're not talking about taxation. This is not a Canada Revenue Agency seminar. This is God's word teaching us and training us about what is biblical giving. And it says this, God loves, he loves a cheerful giver. You know that word that's translated cheerful is the is the root word, the Greek root word from which we derive the English word hilarious. In fact, I almost titled this message, the hilarious giver. What a description of what God is looking for in the attitudes of our heart. Isn't isn't that awesome? It's quite freeing actually. He's looking for hilarious, cheerful giving. To be able to give cheerfully, you know, To be able to give cheerfully, you need your heart to be touched by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, the the cross has got to grip your heart for that to happen. To get that sense of who Jesus is. Paul's saying this, you, you give to God because you love to give. Not because someone obligates you to give. You know what God loves? Do you know what God loves? God loves a cheerful giver. That's what he loves. Verse eight, check it out. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, that sounds pretty good. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely his given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. See, God will always, always, always bless the right kind of giving. And as you give, you know, I would encourage you be convinced that God will reward. Be convinced of it. You know, years ago, I I heard someone do something or I saw it. I can't remember where it came from, but I, I saw that on the, or they told me that on the memo line of their check, they write that promise, Malachi 3.10. Test me in this and da, 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 da. And I thought, man, that's awesome. And so in my giving to the kingdom of God, wherever that might be, I regularly write Malachi 3.10 right on the check in the memo line. I'm claiming this promise, God. As I contribute to your kingdom, I'm trusting. This is my test, God. Show your faithfulness. And God has promised, he's promised that he will bless us when we decide in our hearts to cheerfully give and we should expect material and spiritual blessings. Paul says this, God is able to make all grace abound to you. All grace. See, there is nothing cheap about God's blessings. All sufficiency in all things at all times. So that you may abound in every good. There's nothing cheap about what he's promising us here. You know, when you practice the grace of giving, you will always have what you need. You know, I I didn't say you always have what you want. 
but you will always have what you need when you need it. You, you know, you know, when I say that the first place that my mind goes to is probably the first place that your mind goes to. And I begin to think about material things right away. Okay. The bills that am I, am I going to have what I need? And you know, I think that it would be a mistake to not correct that thinking this morning in each one of us. And first to direct us to think about the, the spiritual supply of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, practice the grace of giving and you will always have what you need when you need it. See, sufficiency from Jesus is the word that is translated in other places in the scripture, contentment. It's the same word. Contentment. You, and I know as much as we like to tell ourselves otherwise, that true contentment comes not from the possessions of things, possessing of external things on the outside of my life. You know, if, if that were the case, if that was the source of contentment, possessing things, then we would live in the most uh, content culture in the world, wouldn't we? But the reality is this, our culture is crazy, man. I mean, we, we live amongst a culture where people are using natural and, and scientific produced pharmaceutics in an effort to quiet their minds, to quiet their pain, to quiet their frustration, to quiet their disappointment. Look, that's not contentment. See, you will never, ever find contentment in external things like people, like relationships, in things like possessions. You won't find contentment in a bottle or in a pill or in the puff of a joint. Look, man, contentment comes from something that is possessed on the inside. Do you have Jesus on the inside? That's why Paul says something powerful here. I encourage you to go home and look at Psalm 112. He quotes Psalm 112 and he says this. He is distributed freely. Talking about God. He is distributed freely. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. See, what Paul is talking about is sufficiency and contentment and having everything that you need. And see, contentment and sufficiency goes right to the very heart of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Contentment, spiritual and inner contentment in your heart is at the heart of the good news of Jesus Christ. To whom, to whom does God distribute his righteousness freely? Psalm 112 tells us to the poor. Psalm 112 is not talking about the financially poor, but it's talking about those who realize their spiritual poverty. Sound familiar? Jesus, Matthew chapter five, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. See, Jesus is saying this. Oh, how happy are those who recognize that their impoverished spiritual lives, who recognize their poverty spiritually, and they come to me. If you come to me in your poverty, to you I will give my righteousness, and to you I will give the kingdom of heaven. 
See, what more could you ever receive from God than the kingdom of heaven and eternal life? Is anything better than eternal life? But we let Satan and the flesh distract us with cars and possessions and clothing and houses and whatever. Makes me want to swear. Drop an F-bomb right there. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just... Look, God is concerned about your contentment. That's what we see from the scripture. Your mental health matters to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus came that you might have life and have it to the full. Your contentment matters to him. And it is a principle of the kingdom of God that you become aware of the sufficient power of the Lord Jesus Christ to meet every need. And you know what? The ability of Jesus, his sufficiency and his power and his contentment for your heart. What Paul is saying, it increases as you give of yourself. As you give of your finances, as you give of your time, as you give of yourself, as you give of your thoughts to the Lord Jesus Christ. The reality of the contentment and his all sufficient power becomes a greater and greater reality. Jesus is sufficient. Amen? Jesus is sufficient. When I say that I'm talking about the full gamut, the full spectrum of people in this room. See, there are those here who I I would assume have never invited Jesus Christ into their, into their hearts to be the Lord of their lives. And in this same room as those people are the old church Christianity veterans who've heard it all before and are tempted to roll their eyes at the pastor as he speaks. (laughs) And so right now I want to address the veterans. Okay, veterans. Listen up. Are you dependent on the all-sufficient power of the Lord Jesus Christ? Because there's a danger for you as you become a veteran in the kingdom of God. Are you content? Come on, man. I'm talking about the heart. Are you content? And when I say content, I mean this. Is your life resting in the sufficient power of Jesus Christ? Or have you slipped into that place where you've begun to seek contentment in things, in possessions, in relationships, in people? And I hope the word of God will remind you this morning. Do you remember what it's like to have sufficiency in Christ Jesus, Christian? Do you want it back? that sense of contentment gone and you want it back, then you know what? Cheerfully, you you just start to give. Cheerfully, you just start to give away. That's what Paul's saying. Jesus Christ is sufficient. Give of yourself. Give of your time. Give of your money. Give to the kingdom of God. See, verse 10 says this. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Boy, there's a great reference that I stumbled upon as I was studying this passage. Hosea chapter 10 verse 12 says this. Break up your fallow ground. For it is time to seek the Lord that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. Break up your fallow ground for it is time to seek the Lord that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. See, God knows your needs. 
And the promise of verse 10 is that you never ever have to worry about God's ability to supply when you practice the grace of giving, the grace of sowing. And I love that as God's word tells us that as we practice that grace of giving, God is able to multiply. Jesus, how are we going to feed this crowd of thousands of people? Jesus didn't start to chew his nails and freak out. No anxious thoughts. No, rather they found a small boy with a few loaves of bread and a few small fish. And Jesus took those few loaves. He took those few fish willingly given and he multiplied the offering. He multiplied that which was given and he fed thousands. See, I, what I, one of the things I love about God, God is not in the business of addition. God likes multiplication. He will, verse 10 tells us, God will multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. The harvest of righteousness. That's pretty cool. He will increase the harvest of your righteousness. You know that to me, that's an incredible promise that God will not only look after the material needs needs and, and multiply what we give, but he will also increase the harvest of our righteousness. Righteousness speaks of our quality of being um, morally right before God. I always think of when I hear the word righteousness, this is what I think of. I think of right actions. It means making right actions. And God says, when you give, I will increase what happens in your life through the right actions that you make towards me and towards the kingdom of God. You will grow in righteousness and I will bring a greater harvest in your life. Isn't that awesome? I think that's awesome. Look, look at verse 11. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. You know, as you give and others are blessed, who receives the thanksgiving? God does. God receives it. You know, there's a little group, a little church in Asia, some little town somewhere. And you know, today they're meeting and they're having church and we don't know where they are, but, I think they're praising God because some Canadians gave and supported the work of the pastor that was serving them and the church grew and people got saved and they're giving thanks to God because someone else gave. And here we are, you know, we're giving thanks to God because they gave and now we can support someone else. See this, see the cycle we gave and then they gave and God gets all the glory and the praise and it's awesome. Verse 12. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. Again, this idea that as we give, it results in thanksgiving to God. See, the Christian life is a life of abundance. I have come that you might have life and have it to the full, Jesus said. See, Jesus is adequate and makes us adequate for every situation. I read this, you know, grace, grace never looks for a reason. It only looks for an opportunity. Grace never looks for a reason. It only looks for an opportunity. And if there is a need to be met, the grace controlled Christian will do what he can to meet that need. Now verse 13. Wrap her up here in a couple minutes. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ. 
and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Now, Paul tells us something cool here. Not only would Jerusalem believers praise God and give thanks to God because of the generosity of this church to whom he's writing, but he says, they'll also do something else for you. They'll pray for you. That's cool. They will pray for the Corinthians. You don't know Don't we do that? Have you ever found yourself in a spot where someone gave to you? What do you do for them? You thank God for the gift and then you pray for that person. It's a total natural reaction. That's just what happens. You thank God and then you pray. I, I bet there's a little church in Asia somewhere praying for Christians in Canada today. You know, it's been said this, want to get prayed for? <laughs> then give, then give. Verse 15, last verse. An awesome verse. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. What's Paul talking about? What's God's inexpressible gift? The gift that can't be described. The one that from the height of heaven stooped himself and came as our savior. He gave his life on the cross. The one gift that outshines all other gifts. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 8 verse 32 says this. He who did not spare his own son. But gave him up for us. He gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him. Not graciously give us all things. You know how can we begrudge God when we are in the possession of something that is indescribable and inexpressible. Something fascinating about what Paul writes there. When he calls Jesus the inexpressible gift, or some of your Bible translations may say indescribable gift. See the Greek word for inexpressible or indescribable is not found anywhere else in Greek literature prior to Paul using it right here. Paul made this word up. That's what the scholars believe. Paul made this word up to express the inexpressible. Paul himself made up this word to describe that which is indescribable. Jesus Christ. The greatest gift. See God's word. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whosoever believed in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Life. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. It is the gift of God. You cannot give the giver. And first and foremost, this morning as we think about this passage, I want to remind you that God is a cheerful giver. He didn't begrudge as he sent his son, but he sent him willingly. And Jesus gave his life willingly. And you and I are saved because we serve a God who believes in the practice of giving by grace. How much do we believe in the practice of giving by grace? God loves a cheerful giver. I hope you're encouraged to give as you just think about the goodness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's, let's,
close in prayer, I'm going to invite Trish to come up here with us. And let's bow our heads. Jesus, we thank you that you are undescribable, inexpressible. Like Paul, he had to make up words to even try and figure out or describe your great gift to us. And Jesus, this morning from our hearts, we just confess that we love you. Jesus, we're so thankful that you are graceful and that you're giving. We are thankful, Jesus, that you stooped from the height of heaven and you came to this earth to give your life for me, for each one here, Jesus. And this morning, Jesus, we worship you. We honor your name, Jesus. We pray, Jesus, that you would touch our hearts by grace to make us givers, Lord. I pray, God, willingly, cheerfully, that hilariously we give to you and to the things of your kingdom. God, help us to plan our giving, to function with purpose. God, protect us from being manipulated or obligated and help our hearts to be in the right spot as we give to you. Jesus, we love you. And we thank you that you gave your life. You gave your life. I thank you, Jesus, for John 3.16 that tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This morning, I, I want to give that opportunity to respond to the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. 